Welcome to the Dearly Discarded Podcast, where we tell the true stories of the vaccine injured that many don't want to hear. These are real people sharing real experiences, uncensored and unsanitized. Listen and learn with us as we tell the stories that have yet to be heard by those who've been discarded. No preaching, no propaganda, and no judgments, just the truth. Welcome to the Dearly Discarded Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Jared St. Clair, and it's good to be with you again on another episode of the show. I am uh, really excited to bring you this next story. Um, Sometimes when I do this show, I've already met and had long conversations with the people that I'm going to be interviewing. This time, I'm seeing these faces for the first time and hearing the stories for the first time, and um, I, I... really actually like doing it that way because I feel like um, we get a little bit more, um, I don't know, of an authentic conversation. So I'm I'm very excited to have this interview. I'd like to welcome Emma and Kathy Berkey to the Dearly Discarded podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. All right. So we're going to be talking primarily to Emma today. Emma, if you're not watching the video, uh, Emma is uh, 20 years old. Um, she was 18 when she originally uh, experienced, uh, got vaccinated and experienced her injury. And uh, Kathy is her mother. And uh, the first question I have for you, Emma, is if you can just tell us a little bit about yourself prior uh, to the vaccine injury. Um, so before I got vaccinated, I was in high school. I was a senior and I was working three jobs. I worked at my mom's construction company. I was a nanny and I babysat. Um, so I was pretty busy, uh, straight A student. I, and I love babies and the beach. Okay. And, um, as part of, well, you got vaccinated. Sorry, what what date did you get vaccinated? I got vaccinated on March twentieth, twenty twenty one. Okay, and which vaccine was it? Uh, the J and J Johnson Johnson. J and J. So that's uh, just a single dose uh, vaccine. Yes. And uh, March twentieth of twenty one. So we're almost two years removed from that. When did you start to notice that something was going wrong? Um. Say like a day or two later, I started having um, a really bad headache and um, then it turned into a migraine and then I started throwing up. Um, I didn't really think much of it because at the time when I got my vaccine, the the person that gave it to me uh, said that it was normal for you to have a fever and to throw up. And so I thought that was just normal. And then I um, just had a migraine and I thought it would go away, but uh, it didn't end up going away. And then um, on April 2nd, I um, went to bed and then I shot straight up out after laying in bed and I threw up all over myself. I called my mom, I went to the bathroom and she tried calling my name and I wasn't answering her because I was having a seizure and didn't hear her. So we went straight from there to the hospital. So about 13 days later uh, is when the, the, the big uh, problem started happening. So what did they, what happened at the hospital? 
around doing uh, we got to the hospital as soon as it, it took a while for us to even arrive. They did a lot of um, assessment um, in the ambulance outside the house before they even uh, transported us. Uh, at that point, she was having stroke symptoms. I mean, it was pretty obvious. I, you know, I could not imagine why she was having stroke symptoms, but um, she was holding her arms out in front of her and one would be lower and um, just all the classic symptoms that they warn you about. Um, so we get into the hospital and they called it a code white, which is a stroke protocol. And the doctor was coming over and he asked why they called it a code white. And um, they said, because she was exhibiting stroke symptoms. And he said, I guarantee you 100% she's not having a stroke. And he walked away. And that was the ER doctor. And they then they did a CT scan. And when they came back with the results, that same doctor came and told me that she had a small brain bleed at that point, which is a stroke. So um, I was just, I could not fathom why, you know, she had a brain bleed. I had, I was glad I'd asked her the night before if she had been hit in the head just because she was having um, headaches and all. I thought okay. maybe when she was babysitting, you know, she got hit in the head with a toy or something and she had said no. So I knew that she didn't have any traumatic injury to her head. Um, they admitted her, um, her seizures got worse. She was having seizures and, um, the left side of her body started to um, not be working properly. It was, uh, she tried to get out of bed to go to the bathroom and she almost fell on the floor because um, her left side wasn't working. Um, they kept doing more scans. As they were doing more scans, they were finding more bleeds. Um, they told her that, well, they told me that it was gonna be a long weekend. Um, and this was Easter weekend. So I was just anticipating you know, staying in the hospital for the weekend, but what mm -hmm. they had meant was going to be a long weekend and that she was going to be in a fight for her life. They knew it at that point. Um, things progressed quickly. We, um, as the scans were done, they started realizing that she had, and actually I wrote it down just because I wanted to remember, yeah. um, CVST, which is a cerebral venous sinus thrombosis. And that's when a blood clot forms in the brains of venous sinuses. And the venous sinus is what takes the oxygenated blood. Once it goes to your brain, the blood goes back through the venous sinus to your heart to get more oxygen. And that cycle just continues. Um, that venous sinus was clogged and the blood was backing up in her brain, which was causing pressure to build up, which was causing um, the blood vessels to rupture. So she was having both... Um, hemorrhages and blood clots at the same time. And to treat one causes the other. So we were scrambling. Um, a doctor, when we first got there, at the time I was a bit um, upset because he was blaming it on the vaccine. And you know I just didn't think it could be the vaccine. Hmm. And as time went on, we realized that as we narrowed things down, that that was going to be, you know, that's what it was pointing at. He was calling the CDC. They were calling the CDC. They were calling Johnson and Johnson because they didn't know how to treat it. What they were doing wasn't working. She was getting gotcha. worse and worse. Um, they weren't returning their calls. I remember vividly sitting in her room while she's having seizures 
and I could hear them outside. The nurse's station was right outside and they were just, they were so upset because no one was returning their calls. No one was returning emails. It was Easter weekend and they didn't know what to do. Um, the doctor actually went public with the New York Times and just called out Johnson and Johnson and the CDC saying that, um, you know, we, they weren't there to help us. And that's one of the things that was so upsetting about all of this. We, we trusted, you know, naively now and so naive, uh, trusted the government to look out in our best interest. Mm -hmm. um, we thought, you know, there's this virus. We all need to come together. They were marking it to children. They were saying, you know, protect the young, protect the elderly. She, Emma, had babysat for four little boys and she wanted to protect them. And that's why she got the vaccine. Right. And we expected them to be there for us if we had a problem, because that's what they said. You know, we filled out the V-Safe uh, protocol, which you it's an app on your phone where you report if you're having problems. Mm -hmm. um, when she began to have this problem, she hadn't registered under it, but I had. So I reported her injury on my phone. And I, I honestly expected to get a phone call within hours of doing that. And I got a voicemail a month later from them. Um, you know, I, I said that, you know, at that point we had been transported to Loma Linda. I said, you know, my daughter's dying. Um, she had the vaccine and, you know, they, they didn't care. Nobody cared. Wow. Unfortunately, I wish that this is the first time I've heard that story. Um, the, 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 the whole reason for the name of this podcast is, is, uh, for, you know, that same type of situation. So they, at no time during the treatment, um, did they receive any direction from CDC or, or, uh, J and J or anybody else? No, none whatsoever. Okay. None whatsoever. They did meet with my husband and I at one point because they, um, had they were researching, they were frantically trying to find um, something to do. And there was a case with, I'm not sure if it was Pfizer, but it was another country and they were treating it. They were treating Emma's clots with heparin. And they said that in that they had started treating it with a different uh, blood thinner. And they said they normally wouldn't do that, but that's what they did in, in this other country, this case with a different vaccine. And they wanted to know if we wanted to do that. And so I asked them what the result was, you know, how was the patient? Well, they didn't know. And so that's one of the things that we're really trying to find out was what was, you know, if this person died, then no, right. you know, we don't want to try that. If, if it worked, yes, but you know, our hands were tied. We just, we didn't know which way to turn. And they were just home with their families on Easter weekend, ignoring. Yeah. And the big problem with my condition is that I had, uh, both brain bleeds and blood clots in my brain. So the treatment for one counteracted the other. Right. Yeah, she actually had four strokes, they said. Oh, wow. I ended up having four in total. Wow. Uh, all in that l small period of time that weekend? Uh, Pretty I much, so, I believe yeah. so, yeah. Okay. And they're bilateral, so it affected both sides. Wow. Okay, so then, I mean, at this point, it's touch and go in terms of whether or not you're, either gonna, you're even going to be here. Um, so what happened after that? Clearly, here you are. So you survived it. But what was the process like after that? Um, so I, I was in, they ended up having to put me into a medically induced coma to stop me from having so many seizures. And then um, a couple days later, 
Yeah. And then she was on life support. This is while we were in, um, still here in Nevada. She was put on life support in a coma. Um, they said she was in you know, grave danger. So they decided to do a brain surgery to try to remove the clots. So um, they did a surgery, they got some of the clot, and then they took her off the, uh, the medicine to um, wake her up. But she didn't wake up. Um, and that was, you know, that was just horrific. Her father and I were, um, you know, they prepared us for her to wake up and for us to tell her, you know, reassure her. And so we're waiting for that. And, and she didn't wake up. They ended up doing a second surgery here in Vegas um, to get more of the clot. Um, then her heart rate was, she was developed a fever. Her heart rate was, you know, 180. Um, she was in grave danger. The heads of the hospital met with us and said that, they just didn't know what to do. They weren't getting any guidance from anyone. And that pretty much if she stayed there, she was going to die. <laughs> and wow. they wanted to put her case out um, for any other hospitals in the nation to take it if they felt they could do something. And they stressed that they, you know, they would only take it if they thought they could help. So, you know, right. we were just praying that someone would take the case because um, otherwise, you know, we knew what the end was going to be. And just about six hours later, Loma Linda Hospital in California uh, took her case. And then she was uh, transported to their hospital. I was life-flighted. Yeah, life-flighted. It was, and her, my, I couldn't fly with her um, because of the, the small size of the plane. So yeah. my husband and I drove up, which was terrible. We left my son with her. And we drove on and we actually beat the helicopter there. We didn't know if she would be dead or alive when we got there. Um, thankfully, you know, she was alive and, and they were just, right. they were a phenomenal facility for her. So then they were able to figure out a different approach. It sounds like to uh, taking care of what was going on, at least in the emergency situation she was in. Mm hmm. And so um, how long were you in that hospital, Emma? I was in the actual hospital for about a month. And then I went to their acute rehab, which is uh, when you're considered ready to go to rehab, but you still need a doctor and medication. Mm, and okay. so I went to that uh, about after about a month of being at the hospital. Um, I remember them telling me that uh, they were going to start looking into me transferring to the rehab. And I was just thinking, I have no idea what in the world I'm going to do at a rehab. Because um, by that point, I was able to, I think, shrug my left shoulder a little. And that was all the movement I had. I couldn't even uh, and stick out your tongue and stick out my tongue. I couldn't blink mm -hmm. my eyes. I couldn't look around the room. I was just staring at a ceiling all the time. I couldn't move my arms or my legs. I was pretty much paralyzed. Wow. And how long uh, did that last? Um, I, I went to, I stayed at the, um, other rehab for two and a half months. Um, I still haven't gotten completely better, but I have gotten a lot better. Um, the right side started to come along first. In the beginning, it was my left, but then the right side started to really come along. And I don't have too many problems with the right side now, 
but I still have a lot of problems with my left, like my hand and my leg are still having a lot of trouble. And do they believe that that's all because of the strokes or do they believe that that's partly neurological damage from the vaccine or do they know? It's the strokes cause me. Um, so I went to my neurologist and they showed me uh, pictures of my brain that I had from an MRI. And in those pictures, it's like um, a whole bunch of white. And then there are a whole bunch for me, there were a whole bunch of big black spots and they're in my brain. So I'm like, what in the world are these huge black spots? Like they should not be there. Right. right. And they were huge. And well, like the right side was huge and there were multiple of them like everywhere in my brain. And so my mom and I were talking to the doctor and we were like, hey, like, what is this? Like, is that okay? Should be we worried? And turns out that the white is like it um, signifies uh, places where pathways are in your brain, like uh, nerves that are showing like where uh, your like where uh, communication to show where your body should move. And uh, the black spots were caused by the vaccine that caused my strokes. And it makes the um, pathways just deteriorate, deteriorate and go away. So the black spots were places that I used to have communication for my brain to signal to different parts of my body to be right. like, hey, you need to move now. And the reason I was paralyzed is because there were they just disappeared. I had, in order for me, the reason I'm able to move now is because I was able to remake those pathway, pathways in different places that allowed me to be able to move. I have a lot of, uh, I compensate a lot to be able to get me to move at all. Mm -hmm. That's part of why I'm having uh, trouble now in my therapy is because in the beginning when I first started therapy, it's like, okay, let's see what you can do. And then they've realized they can't do anything. And so, okay, let's get you to the point where you can actually do something, like mm -hmm. anything you can do. And then you get to the point where it's like, okay, we know you can do this. Now you have to learn to do it right instead of just compensating for everything. And so I was just in shock that that can happen to your brain. And it happened in like a week. It takes you like what your brain develops until you're like 25 or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, it, it is crazy. And of course, you don't think about those types of things unless you're kind of forced into it in most cases, yeah. right? So then at, at, at this point, you were at Loma Linda for about a month. You were in a, a, a nearby rehab, I assume, for a couple of months after that. Yeah, I was in the hospital at Loma Linda for a month. And then uh, their their rehab, which was about uh, like pretty much across the street. Oh, okay. Like five so minutes part of away. the same facility. I was there for two and a half months. Yeah. So I was in Loma Linda for three and a half months. Okay. And then uh, th this, after Loma Linda, uh, the process has been basically for you, it sounds like, just really trying to regain mobility, uh, going from an almost fully paralyzed state. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's just therapy, therapy, therapy. I do therapy. I used to do therapy from uh, nine to three every weekday. Um, since then, my therapy has gotten shortened. Uh, not because I'm like they thought I was getting better, but because 
uh, my insurance is all over the place. So now I go from 10 to 3 on every weekday. So Monday through Friday, I go uh, from 10 to 3. Okay. And you're back home in, in Vegas doing all that. Yes. I have a, uh, yeah, I go to a place called Nerve Restorative. And so <laughs> what, 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 where are you at in terms of health status at this point and your ability to get around and things like that? What's, what's going on there? Um, I'm a lot better than I was. Um, I'm nowhere near where I should be. Uh, considering that I had four strokes, I'm doing amazing. Yeah. Um, but uh, I still need help. I have to, if I'm walking, I have to use um, this big brace on my leg that goes from all the way from my ankle to like my upper okay. thigh just to keep it from moving because my knee hyperextends, which over time can uh, really harm the bone mm -hmm. and the joint there. And then my ankle inverts and supinates, so it rolls. It rolls outwards. So, um, and that would make it really easy for me to break sure. my ankle. And then if I break my ankle, then I have to do rehab to fix my ankle. And then that just ruins the whole trying to get better thing because then you're focused on your ankle instead of the whole thing. It's just a big, huge thing. And then um, I have a lot of trouble. I had to relearn how to eat and shower and even just getting in the car. I can't drive. I can't. I'm able to write now. But in the beginning, writing wasn't even, I can make lines, kind gotcha. of. But. So are there other, besides the paralysis and the, the weakness and these things that you've described specifically, are there other symptoms that you still deal with um, in terms of other you know, neurological things or anything else? Um, you know, uh, mostly, like all the people at my clinic for brain injuries, um, have problems uh, cognitively right. or speech. And I was lucky enough that um, at my rehab, they have a, a picture of a brain and it like labels all the different parts of the brain and what they do. And I think I had, um, looking at the picture, I think I had um, four places of the six that were affected. And the only two that weren't affected were the ones that affect your ability to uh, talk and your memories. Interesting. And so, yeah, so I was pretty lucky on that front. I mean, it could have been a lot worse than it was. And I was, I am able to kind of regain things over time. I mean, I shouldn't have right. to do it. And so it's just terrible that I have to. But I'm lucky that God is helping me get better, right. at least. So let me ask you this then. In the early going, of course, there was no, you know, over the Easter weekend and everything, there was no support really of any kind or no answers of any kind. Um, and then you said that you did uh, fill out that V-safe, you know, report and got a, did you say it was a month later that you heard back? Kathy? Yes, it was. And that was actually the pause of the vaccine. And that was due to her case. Yeah, um, I got, I caused the pause. You, mm -hmm. There were six cases similar uh, to Emma's. One woman, I believe, died. 
And it was on the news and they actually paused the vaccine for two weeks while they investigated this. And then they reinstated it saying that these were very rare cases. And they said the benefit outweighed outweighed the risk. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, when they reinstated it, because we were in the media, we had the media camping outside the hospital. Um, It was it was just crazy. Um, And my husband and I, we just had our pastors talk to them. We you know, we were just focused on Emma. And and so it was in the news and Good Morning America and 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 all. But once they paused the vaccine and brought it back the news shut down. They were not talking about it anymore. It was just crazy. It was like there were just six cases of something and that was it. Now everything's good. And no one talked bad about the vaccine anymore. Um, They would do interviews with Emma, but we found that they would do an interview with her and it would get edited down so much. And then following her, they would talk to somebody from Johnson and Johnson or the CDC saying, you know, how, what good the vaccine is. And it, we just quit, <laughs> you know, we just quit yeah. at that point. You, you quit trying to get the, yeah. We quit trying to get the word out because they weren't gotcha. listening to us. They were just using bits and pieces to just push forth their own agenda. Have you had any contact with any government agencies uh, since then, uh, having to deal with this injury at all? No, I mean, I filed the, the reports, I filed uh-huh. the bars report and I, um, I actually, you could, you know, I did it over the phone and then I also emailed the questionnaire and I faxed it and it's, I know it's ridiculous what I did, but I printed out full page pictures of Emma while she was in the hospital and on life support and going through therapy and I interspersed it with all the pages of their report because I wanted somebody to see the pictures of her. I just wanted somebody to see them, whether it's a person just taking the facts off the sheet or opening the email, I wanted someone to see it. So I, I reported it, you know, I did everything I could. I've, um, we did have an attorney at the very beginning because he thought that the pause of the vaccine would signify that there was something wrong and you would be able to sue. But he dropped the case when he realized that, you know, there is just no piercing that um, safety that they yeah. have. Um, There's a law that says um, if uh, if a vaccine was given during a worldwide pandemic, then you can't sue for pain and right. suffering. But if I were to have gotten this sick for something as simple as a flu shot, I would have been able to sue for pain and suffering. And now I'm not able to get any sort of vaccine at all whatsoever. I can't even get a flu shot anymore. Yeah, she can't get anything. And that's just opens so many problems. I mean, when she has children, what are, you know, can her, you know, just all these problems and, and decisions that we never wanted to have to sure. make. Um, you know, yeah, it's a true life-changing event in, in a it dramatic is. It just way. totally changed the trajectory of our, yeah. of our life. Yeah. Two weeks before this happened, um, before she got the vaccine, she was she had taken her senior pictures. We had just finalized uh, making the arrangements for a trip to Hawaii. She and I were going to do a mother daughter uh, trip to Hawaii um, to celebrate her graduation. And I remember when we were in rehab, um, one day she remembered that and she said I was still going to go to Hawaii. <laughs> and you know, I'm like, well, no. And we're still going to go to Hawaii. You know, some way somehow we are going to get there. Good. Um, We've had to, when we, we lived in a two-story home when 
this happened and it was almost paid for, but all the bedrooms were upstairs. When we brought Emma back home, you know, it just was not going to work for her. So we rented a home a couple houses down. It was still two stories, but it had a master downstairs. And so we did that for uh, a few months and now we've bought a house that's one story. It's a beautiful home, but I'm 57 and it's time for me to retire. And now I have a huge mortgage again. Um, and, you know, there's no compensation. The, the little bit of the CICP program that they have for the uh, vaccine injured is just, is just sorry. I cannot imagine who put that together and, and them standing by it. Um, it does not offer pain and suffering, as Emma, Emma said. Um, it will only reimburse you, if it reimburses you, it will only covered, reimburse for non-covered medical expenses. Um, our insurance has been pretty good, which is, you know, that's a, a God thing yeah. right there. But there are so many more bills and things that we are having to face that don't even fall into that. We had to buy a, a wheelchair van. Um, it, we're putting 20,000 miles on that a year. It's a, it's, it's old, has almost 200,000 miles and it's in the shop. Um, you know, every, month. every time it goes <laughs> into the shop, it costs thousands of dollars because there's always something else wrong with it. Yeah. And we're not in the gas for that. We're not going to get compensated right. for any of that. We are continually buying new braces, new gadgets, um, for her. And none of that's covered. Um, who is going to cover her medical expenses? As she gets older, you know, when I die, that that is our biggest fear, my husband and I, that just keeps us awake at night as to, you know, who's going to take care of her, who's going to make sure she has the, the medical support that she needs. Um, you know, there's no there's no pool of money. You know, Johnson & Johnson, all the vaccine manufacturers are reaping huge profits, huge profits off of something. And if you're going to make a a blind coverage of them, you know, they're, um, you're just saying, you know, you can't get liability insurance. So we'll make sure that, you know, you can't be sued. Well, they should still be held accountable. And if there is a problem, they should try to research it and find out why and not just sit back and count the money. Right. Um, while we are just, you know, getting further and further in debt, which I'm fine with, and I'm fine working till the day I die because I have Emma and that's all that I, I right. want. You know, I have everything I need and God's going to take care of us, but it just isn't right because there are just thousands more families like us um, facing this. And that's the thing, right? I mean, it's, it's uh, what I hope happens with, you know, this show and some of the documentaries that have come out, um, uh, you know, on this topic of vaccine injury is that people that haven't been personally touched by it, uh, you know, I don't have any, any, uh, you know, very close family or friends that have experienced injury from this. I've met some amazing people who have become my friends, you know, after the fact, but uh, I've not experienced it. But I, what I hope is that people like me who have not seen it firsthand or experienced it within their family or experienced it themselves will recognize when story after story after story after story after story is reported on on podcasts like this and and, um, you know, uh, documentaries like Safe and Effective and uh, anecdotals and so on, that it will be as obvious to me and apparent to me as it is or to them as it is to me that this isn't rare and that safe and effective doesn't mean what they told us it meant. 
No, no. And they don't care. You know, they can set up all these safe protocols and tell you they have all these protocols in place. And, you know, if you have a reaction, we'll be there for you. But, you know, now we know that's not the case. Oh, my word. This show is um, such a challenging one to do for everybody involved. People that listen to it, it's challenging. People that the, the person that hosts it, <laughs> it's challenging. The, the, <laughs> the people like you that are living it incredibly challenging it's it's such a difficult thing because of the you know the heaviness of the subject matter and the fact that we're talking about real lives and in this case i mean emma you're 20 my oldest is 25 i've got a 22 year old i've got a 13 year old and a 10 year old um you're still a kid right mom yeah yes. and um it's it makes it even more challenging uh when it happens to someone at you know 18 or 15 or heck i think almost half the interviews i've done have been people under the age of 22 um with this mm -hmm. this podcast and so here's the there's a couple more questions i want to ask you because I, I i ask these to pretty much everybody but i i really feel like these answers matter a lot why you said you kind of gave up on media for a while uh, because clearly mass media, local media and stuff like that was es essentially discarding the story and minimizing it. Right. That's what it sounds like. Um, mm -hmm. But now here you are talking to me. Uh, why did you decide to do this podcast? Why are you still telling your story? Um, well, for a really long time, uh, I kept trying to uh, do interviews and things because people were still able to get the shot and some people might not mm -hmm. know that something like this could happen to them. So I kept trying to do interviews and uh, newspaper things to get my story out there so I could warn people. But uh, a big part of the problem was that with like, I'm on, I've been on the news a lot um, locally. And uh, after like the first time I was on the news, they just seem to be like, um, like this is what happened to her, but she's fine now. It won't happen to you. It's so rare. It will happen. It's one in a million. It's never going to be you. And you think, oh, it's one in a million. But when you're the one, it's a really big deal. And um, they would have me go on and say like, hey, this is what happened to me. And then have some doctor come on right after me and the interview would be like i don't know like an hour long and they would put me on tv for right. two minutes and then have a doctor on right after me for like five minutes saying it won't happen to you it's safe this is what happens we've gone through things and we figured it out and if it does happen to you don't worry because uh people will help you and that's not what at all they'll help happened. people who had the vaccine who got covid you know there's support for people that had covid but not support for people who got injured by the vaccine. Right. COVID. Yeah. And that's that's a really, really big deal and an important point. And I, I'm glad that you brought that up. It's that if you get sick by just about any possible means that you could get sick in this country, there's generally help somewhere for you. Right. Whether it's cancer or heart disease or covid or any number of other things. But if you get injured by a product made by these vaccine manufacturers, it's, you know, 
crickets, right? You can't get anybody to help you or do anything or say anything. In fact, it's even worse. Again, the reason we decided to call this podcast Dearly Discarded is that that's what ends up happening uh, to a very large degree. Mm -hmm. Is it's just, look, we're going to ignore that you're even there. you know, listening and, and as they were reaching out and then we realized, you know, that's, it's, that's not what's happening. They're just turning our story to their own yeah. agenda. It's uh, and then the opposite of help. Drop. Yeah, exactly. exactly. All right. And, and Kathy, I'm curious, why do you feel like the story needs to be heard? Well, <laughs> um, because I, I, so many people have approached me since this happened. So I, I know it is not rare. I know it is real. And it's a, it's not one in a million. It's, is it? it's not one in a million. It's just so, yeah. And Johnson & Johnson, even that vaccine, they paused the vaccine, then they reinstated it. And then about six months later, they looked at it again and they put another warning on it um, for this. And just in December, they said that if you have any chance to get any vaccine besides Johnson and Johnson, do it. Don't do the Johnson and Johnson. But if that's the only one you can get, you know, go ahead. And if you cannot get it, if you are under 18. So they are, I talked to the attorney and he said that that's because they, if they actually pull it, that will open them up for lawsuits. So they know this vaccine is specifically horrendous to people and causing, you know, it's changing everyone's lives, ruining their lives, taking lives, and they continue to have it out there to protect themselves. Yeah. And, and yet, unfortunately, you know, Johnson & Johnson is by far the least uh, given uh, administered, I guess is the right word of the vaccines mm -hmm. here in, here in America. Why. Right. Because there mm -hmm. were, yeah, there was so much cause for pause. There was cause for mm -hmm. uh, age concerns and things like that. And so because of that, I don't talk to a lot of people who have been injured by Johnson Johnson, because there's so few people that had it by comparison. Most of mm -hmm. the people I talk to are Pfizer and then it's Moderna and then it's, but the, the thing that I think is really important to stress, if you're listening to this show and you haven't listened to any of the other episodes of, of this podcast for you listening to the show right now. Um, don't make the mistake of thinking that there's only one of these vaccines that causes these issues. Every single one of these is creating all types of problems. Yeah. And, yes. and, and Emma, you nailed it on the head. And, and you remind me my very first interview that I did. I don't know if you, if either of you have watched, this was with a, a young man, Andre Cherry. If you haven't watched his interview, if you haven't if you haven't watched his interview on Rumble, don't listen to it. Watch it. You need to you need to see it um, because you can. His symptoms are very exhibitable uh, and very obvious to the to the eye. But I asked him, "Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this interview?" And at that time, I was even more curious than I am now because it was the very first one of these interviews I'd ever done. He's 22 years old, and he's um, he's wheelchair bound. He's he's in uh, real bad shape. And I can't remember, to be honest with you, I think his was Pfizer, but I can't remember, but it doesn't really matter. And he said, because if if my story can prevent one person from making the mistake I made, then it's worth me talking about it. And you know, that's essentially what you said, because they are still pushing these things. They're still pushing boosters and things like that. And and I I really appreciate it because I can't imagine, I can't put myself into your shoes at all. I can't even come close but I anticipate that it's tempting to just 
take care of yourself and take care of your family and not do this kind of stuff, you know, interviews and podcasts and advocacy and all these kind of things. So anybody in your position that is willing to open your mouth and tell your story and share it, I do believe you're making an impact on other people's lives. And and I want to thank you personally for being willing to do that. Thank you. We hope so. I believe you are. I really do. And I can tell you that you are because do you want to hear something really cool? I think it's yes. really cool. <laughs> I was talking to, uh, well, not talking to, it was a, it was a uh, Facebook interaction. I think might've been Instagram, but anyway, a social media thing, stranger I'd never met before who, uh, listened to this show and was, um, ha has been vaccinated, uh, early on, uh, and, but was not injured and was getting a lot of pressure from somebody. I think it was family members to get, uh, the boosters and, he said, you know what? And he you know, typed this out, but he said, Jared, thank you for dearly discarded podcast because it gave me the courage and the knowledge and information to know that maybe it's I've done enough and I don't need to go any further. Right. And so you are making a dent and it is a one person at a time kind of a situation, but uh, it's it's a really, really vital thing. Ten minutes before I got on air with you. I was talking to someone who's got a 15 year old who is dealing with vaccine injury as well. Um, and, uh, it's, it's not rare. It's not one in a million. It is censored. It is blocked. It is hidden. And we need people like you who are the ones that shouldn't have to ad advocate, uh, for this to, to, share your story. So again, thank you so much. Is well, thank there, you for, for doing this. Absolutely. I'm, I'm more than happy to, this is a, you know, this shows a labor of love for sure, because I'll be honest with you. It's not the most fun thing I do every day, <laughs> but, but it is nice that I get to meet some amazing people like yourselves. I'm going to ask you one other question that I think is pretty, actually two other questions that I'm going to let you go. One is, are you doing anything, um, that you have found besides therapy, besides actual physical therapy, have you found any other answers that uh, have seemed to have helped you that you'd like to share with anybody else who might be struggling? Um, I think just uh, believing in God and knowing that there's something, that there's meaning for all of this and that there's someone who ultimately can help me and will help me because you really have no idea. You if you don't try, you don't get better. And sometimes it's just so hard to try. You don't want to. And so you have to find the courage to try. And so uh, God really helped me uh, with trying to um, put in the effort to get better. And there are a lot of people at my therapy, at my rehab, who are having a lot of trouble with uh, putting in the effort to stay better. And a lot of them don't believe in God. So... Well, so your faith definitely. that's funny uh well not funny and probably not coincidental either but i asked that same question of andre and he said very much the same thing um that the faith makes a, a very very big difference um and what's your how do you feel about your recovery do you feel like you're going to get all the way back where, where what's your level of of hope and belief there um in the beginning it was pretty much not there um, I would just cry like every other night. I just cried if she had to deal with me. <laughs> um, it was tough. 
I'm sure she was crying with you. Yeah, (laughs) she was. It was sad. Um, But um, going, that's part of the reason anyone who goes through something like this, you have to make sure that they will try. If you don't put in the effort, you're not going to get anything out of it. And um, when I first started, um, I, in school, I really liked to get A's and stuff just because it made me feel like I was getting something out of it and I was working really hard and I was being recognized. And um, and therapy is kind of the same thing. And as uh, the further along you get, the harder it is to really uh, notice those little changes. Because in the beginning, it's like, oh, my gosh, I can move my arm. Like, I can do that all of myself. I can lift my head up now. I'm not mm-hmm. stuck in one position. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, oh, my gosh, I can pick this pen up right. Or I can draw a line without uh, my finger shaking and going the opposite direction. It's just really hard for you to be able to um, figure out the little things. And so, um, just keep trying. Well, I know your attitude of of faith and gratitude to God that you are still here, even though your version of here isn't what it was a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I believe it matters very, very much. And I agree with you completely. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience before we let you go? We'd like to thank everybody. Yes. Yeah. We've had so much support from people and, you know, prayers, um, our GoFundMe and and uh, people just reaching out, offering to help, you know, just even coming to the home and and helping with therapy. And, you know, people are just volunteering of their time to help us. And, you know, it's just it's hard being on the receiving side of that because um, my husband and I have been big supporters of other people in this situation and all of a sudden you find yourself in that situation and it's 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 hard but um it it's humbling and we are just so thankful so thankful for everyone and if you if you'd like to share your uh, GoFundMe, uh, we can uh, we can uh, link to that in the uh okay, yes, we the description of the show as well so yeah i'd be happy to do that and i will say this um the, the biggest thing that i think someone listening to this show can do is share it, get the message out. Um, You know, Emma and Kathy, you're not talking to me, right? I already know what's going on with all this stuff. I've heard these stories. I've heard way too many of these stories. And, um, and so if you're hearing this story and if it's touching you, please share the story, get the word out. Um, Don't be silent. Um, The, the, the good people in New Zealand who I just interviewed a few weeks ago, uh, who did the documentary down there called uh, Silent No More. uh Are you familiar with that one, by the way? Yeah. Um, You know, it's just, it, the community of people that are injured or have injured loved ones or have lost loved ones uh, due to this rollout of these experimental uh, vaccines is it's an amazing community. These are people who not only need your support, but they deserve your support. And it's clear to me that Emma and Kathy and uh, the rest of your family, you you're certainly worthy of it as well. So we'll say we'll save your or sorry, share your GoFundMe uh, in the description of the podcast. And uh, when you're uh, clicking through there and looking at that, please also share this podcast with anybody that you feel needs to hear this message. And I'll give you a little 
teaser here on that. Everybody needs to hear this message. So share it. Okay, Emma, Kathy, thank you so much. I appreciate you. If uh, if there are any updates or anything that you'd like to share with our listeners, uh, let me know and we can uh, schedule another little show to uh, celebrate some things. And uh, in the meantime, keep the faith and keep doing what you're doing. It looks like you're going in the right direction. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Dearly Discarded Podcast. We encourage you to help break through the silence and share this episode with your friends and family. It's time for these stories to not only be told, but to be heard. For more information, head to react19.org and dearlydiscardedpod.com. The Dearly Discarded Podcast is produced by Jared St. Clair and Michaela Hyde with support from React 19. We'll be back next week with another true story from one who lives it. Until then, join us on Team Humanity. Keep an open mind, seek the truth, and share these stories. Most of all, open your mouth. Silence won't change anything. React 19 needs your support. We're a grassroots nonprofit created by the COVID vaccine injured for the COVID vaccine injured. React 19 provides physical support through scientific research and physician referrals, financial support to those most in need for uncovered medical expenses, and emotional support by growing a community that's focused on compassionate advocacy, hope, fellowship, and improving lives. We can only do these things with your support. Your donation is tax deductible and any amount is greatly appreciated. You can also sign up for automatic monthly donations. The vaccine injured have been marginalized, censored, and discarded, but they have not been broken. Help them rise to the challenge today. Visit react19.org for more information or simply text the word REACT to 50155 and donate via text.